Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. If you have your Bibles, would you open to uh, Hebrews 3? Hebrews 3, uh, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, most people think, and I myself think, that it was actually Apostle Paul, just because the writing is very similar to all his other epistles, but we don't really know for sure who wrote this to you, Hebrews. What we do know is Hebrews were people who were Jewish, uh, of the Jewish descent, and their whole life they grew up in one specific way of thinking, or of worshiping, and then one day, Jesus came on the scene and sort of turned everything around. And then there's a church now that they were previously Jew, uh, Jewish, but now they are Christians. So even though when it says that Hebrews 3, it's talking to Christians that came from a Hebrew background, who grew up with the Torah and the Old Testament and so on and so forth. So before I read this, would you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your presence in this place. And I ask you tonight, Lord God, that you would take us, God, not just uh, Father, that we would not stick uh, in Egypt, but Lord, you take us to the promised land. And Father, that we would not be complaining, Lord, but we would follow you every single step of the way. I pray, God, that you open up our hearts and pour on your word, Lord, and change and transform us. And may Jesus pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So are you guys there? All right, awesome. Let's, uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we're going to go kind of like piece by piece, but it says this, um, verse 1, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest, for he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses, say Moses, Good, you're still with me, amazing. Um, stirred faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far better glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant, his work was an illustration of the truths God will reveal later. But Christ, as a son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as real Israelites did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me, so they refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from uh, turning you, you away from the living God. You must earn, uh, or warn rather, each other every day while it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful today and trusting God, just as firmly as we were first, uh, as we first believed, we will share in the, uh, what belongs to Christ. 
Remember when it says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israelites, uh, where Israel did when they rebelled. And who, verse 16, and who, um, and who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people of Moses, led, uh, uh, the people that Moses led out of Egypt? And whom, or who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that, uh, that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Quite a little bit of a passage, isn't it? It's a, it's a lot in there. But there's a contrast here between, you know, the people of God, which is the Israelites, right? And the new church, which is the Jewish people, this is written to Hebrews, right? That became Christians. By the way, people like that still exist today. They're called the Messia uh, Messianics. And they, even though they kind of were Jewish, they accepted Jesus as the Messiah, right? So they, you know, the writer to Hebrews basically contrasts and says because of their unbelief, the Israelites, right, they didn't enter the promised land. And be careful and warn each other that you don't follow the same path. Now, when I was a kid, I remember, man, like, I don't know how, how, how early you guys remember your childhood, um, but if you remember your house, I think when you're a kid, you, the first thing that you think is the whole world is your house, right? Because it's just, this is what I know. And then your mom takes you to the store, and you're like, oh, wow, the world is a lot bigger than I expected, right? It's bigger than my house. Turns out there are things beyond my fence, right? Like, and I remember I was about seven or eight when I rode my bike, uh, bicycle about maybe two miles out, you know, from our village that we grew up in. And I was just like, I was kind of scared because I was like, I've never been this far from home. Like, this is very far. On one hand, like I was scared, but on the other hand, I was just like, this is great. This is awesome. I'm, I, I felt so brave. But at the same time, I felt like, hey, you know what? I didn't know this, but the world's actually bigger than my village, right? It's bigger than that. And then when the first time I went to the city with, with my, my parents, I was like, wow, the world's a lot bigger. Now, of course, I didn't have these epiphanies along the way. I didn't sit down and be like, wow, this is big, right? But sort of, this is kind of how you understood the world. At the beginning, you just thought it was your house, and then it was your backyard, and then it was something bigger than that, right? And then there was one time at 15 years old when I got on an airplane for the first time in my life, right? And, and you know, like, you know, when your stomach drops and uh, you take off, and slowly but surely you start to look on, you know, through the window, and you see that the world is actually a lot bigger than your town. Why? Because as you elevate your perspective, you start to see things differently, right? What you thought was just so big, turns out there are things that are a lot bigger than that, yeah. right? And then when you start going to things like, you know, study, you know, different planets and you realize, wow, we're just, we're so small, you know? But then when you come to God, God always has a greater purpose behind every single thing. 
And maybe in your first walk with the Lord, it was just sort of in, in a sense like, I'm giving my, my life to the Lord because I want to make sure that my life is blessed. And I want to make sure that when I get married, I have the right wife and I have the right house. And, and that's kinda, that was for a certain level of understanding that you had when you went to the first time to church. You're just kind of doing it for, to a certain degree for selfish reasons. You're thinking like, well, I want my life to be good. Right? But then God didn't just leave you there. He started to expand your view as to what really is he calling, him, uh, uh, calling you to. Right? You might have came to church because you thought that encountering Jesus, your life will change and now you'll be blessed and you'll have the best life of your now and so on and so forth. And then you realize that actually the whole reason you're called here is not necessarily for you, know, you having a great car and great money and, and great job, but for actually something way bigger, which is eternity. Right? You realize pretty quickly that it's not just what we saw in our infancy we're in our time of being a toddler, right? The more mature we, we get in Christ, the more our worldview gets just sort of, the right word here would be blown, right? Like blown up, right? Like it's just so much bigger than you expected. And so, so what happens with the Israelites, imagine if you spend your whole life and you, you just were in one village and everyone worked very hard and that was your life. Now, your parents knew that in Egypt, you guys are slaves. Your parents knew that you came from a, a land of freedom, but now you're a slave here in Egypt. The people that were born there, that's all they knew. If you guys ever have any weird family traditions, and then you meet with a friend of yours, and like, you guys do that? That's just so weird. Why would you do that? And like, that's just because we've always done it. Because my grand, 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 grandparent, you know, he did this and then that's, and I don't know why we're still doing it, but apparently this is important. Right, we all have weird traditions. For example, giving gifts, right? I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> like my, in, in our household, we don't give gifts like for Christmas because we think it's just a waste of time and money. But, um, okay, not waste of time. Um, we just think that like if you buy a gift, really, really mean it. We don't do what's called gift exchange, right? Like we, we just exchange gifts, you know? And it's like, okay, well, we, we think, okay, if you're going to give a gift, really, really mean it. Don't just sort of, oh, I have to give them a gift because they're getting me one. Because then he kind of loses the meaning. Anyways, like you don't have to adopt that. I'm just saying that's how our family does it, which is great because everyone's like freaking out at Christmas thinking when they're going to buy it. And I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like, I don't have to spend any money. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to give them hugs. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and eat. <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Um, but we all kind of grew up with certain traditions and you knew that that's kind of how you are. Right? But imagine if you grew up a slave. And turns out God sends a messenger and says, look, you were never intended for you to be a slave. I'm calling you out of Egypt. I'm calling you out of that place. So Moses is sent as this messenger of God to bring him or bring the people of God out of slavery. Now for you, it might look like this. Maybe you lived in a lifestyle of sin and that's maybe was part of the brokenness that happens in your family and growing up you thought okay well that's just how we are we also we always yell at each other now unless you're ukrainian because i have some friends ukrainian that 
that I go to their house and they yell at each other. And I'm like, why are you guys yelling? They're like, that's how we talk. <laughs> like we have our own like quirks as Moldovians, but like, it's just so weird. Like, I'm like, why are you guys yelling at one another? Right. And, and like, but I think, and this is just, you know, it's not, that doesn't make your family horrible. What is really sad is when there's destructive behaviors in the family or in your lifetime, I mean, your life, you know, before you came to Jesus. And you thought that's how you were supposed to be. You thought that like, well, that's just how we do things. I always, you know, looked at porn. I always stole things and people didn't really like think too much of it. I always have done that. And you sort of almost made peace with this, even though, and God sends you a messenger like Moses or a friend or someone brought you to church Right? He says, no, you are not like this. You are not created to go around and, and steal from people. You're not created to go and get angry and go off with people. You're not created for that purpose. Let me show you for the purpose you were created. And I'm going to call you out of your brokenness and out of that place of Egypt. And I'll call you out of that. And you're so grateful. You're like, this is amazing. This is awesome. Wow. I didn't know that the world stretches beyond this. What, what happened there is God infused his kingdom for at least one second into your mind saying, listen, you can be free from, from this. You no longer have to be part of this. Remember when the, uh, I think it's called the Declaration of Emancipation, right? Like where, where uh, you know, the president, uh, Abraham Lincoln, signed a paper that said that all the slaves are free. Now, historians are saying that some 18 months after that, people still own slaves for the sheer reason that they didn't know that this was past, <coughs> right? But the moment they understood that, hey, you no longer have to be a slave, then the landlords, or the lords rather, not landlords, lords, or the slave owners had a day of reckoning and they had to let the slaves go, right? So, so when, when you first encountered the Lord and he spoke truth into your life, and he went to, you know, through the cross and he crushed the enemy and said, you can no longer hold my people. You have to let my people go. You know, you, you've sang that in, in, in you know, uh, Sunday school, right? <laughs> then, <laughs> Julian, I need your help right now. <laughs> Julian's the one with the golden voice. I just, see, like, I can't. Sorry, guys. Um, you'll just have to do with <laughs> what I tell you. Um, so, and then they, they come out of Egypt, and then they start going through the desert, and they realize pretty quickly, they're like, this is not fun. Wait a second, like, at least in Egypt, we had garlic. We, we had... You know, we could grow stuff, you, but you're in slavery. Yeah, but we had garlic, but we, 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 we had this. And they started to complain. You know why they started to complain? Because they didn't see the grand perspective here. God didn't call them to the desert. God called them out of Egypt for the promised land. The desert was never supposed to be the place where they camp. And they, 
I mean, right now, if you were to go and plot that out, some scholars say that from Egypt to the promised land would have been an 11-day journey. It shouldn't take you 40 years, is what I'm trying to say. Right, but because of their complaining and their, their, their in, I don't know, I guess maybe some, some theologians put it more than 11 days, but whatever, the point is, even if it was 40 days, right, why are you complaining about this? This is just a transition. In the place of, you know, if, if Egypt was the place of never enough, where you worked for things that are not yours, you worked for the Pharaoh, you worked for your slave master, and you were a slave, and you never had enough freedom, you never had enough food. Well, the desert was supposed to be a, pro, a, a, a place of just enough. It's not like they were starving to death. They just didn't like the food that God provided them. But we had, we, we, we had meat. All we have here is this manna. And we have to c- go collect it every single day. And that seems like hard work. Seriously? Do you know? Like, have you thought about where you came from? Well, because you have to collect it every single day because it gets bad. Yeah. At least you're free here. The way this looks in your regular life is God has called you out of your sinful behavior, out of a place of slavery, to the promised land, but now you're in transition. And then you wonder, why am I going through what it feels like a desert? Well, well, you see, like when I, when, when, when I, when I was in that lifestyle, I had friends. Really? You call those friends? that celebrated your destruction in the process? Well, well but I, I, I could do this. Yeah, but that's what actually made you into slavery. It amazes me how people just sort of say things like, well, I just wanna do my thing, bro. Like, I just gotta do my thing. Really? When you're addicted to drugs, is that your thing? Would you have to pay child support for 18 years? Is that your thing? Where exactly did you sign up for that? So, so well, because I could do whatever I would do. Yeah, but that led you to bondage. That led you to slavery. And by the way, God called you out of that not for this. God called you out of that for the promised land, for the land of more than enough. So God calls you from the land of never enough to the land of just enough to take you in the land of more than enough, amen? amen. So, so the whole point of you being a Christian is not for you to have it easy in this life. The whole point of you being a Christian is the one day you get to spend eternity with him. Jesus himself said that in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will go through difficulties. In this life, you will feel abandoned by your friends and by your family. In this life, you will suffer. In this life, you will have to deal with disease. In this life, you will have to, to work for your food. But rest assured, I'm with you. Day in and day out, through your depression, I'm with you. Through your need, I'm with you. I'm right here, and I'm, I'm going to make sure that you have just enough. Just enough to get you through another day. Now, it'd be nice if God could just sort of give us a truck of grace every single day so we have good for a week, but that's not how he works. Because then we would trust that truck of grace, not him. 
So daily, not just daily, but every single minute, we have to rely on his providence, right? Like we have to rely on his provision daily. And that's exactly the way he wants us. We live in this world of sort of the kingdom that came is here, but not yet. It's now, but not yet. What keeps us going is not because we like chilling in the desert. No, like what keeps us going is because we are promised the promised land. That's, and this is what makes this time, this whatever years we get here on, on, on this earth, be it uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever years we have here, we understand that the point was never this, this time, the point was eternity with Him. He is doing a work in us, but in this process, He's not going to forsake us. All He has done now is He infused us with this kingdom vision. Right? And he's saying that, hey, I called you for bigger things than this. You thought that your world was just Egypt. But I sent Moses to pull you out of that. And the writer of the Hebrews is, is saying that, look, they complain. And because of that, God tried to say, okay, well, if you're going to complain, we're going to have to deal with this behavior. It would have been nice if they got, I don't know, the point after the 20th day, but they didn't. What we do know is some scholars put it that they left about 500,000 people, and then they got it when they got to, to the promised land, it was about 2 million. We don't know for sure. Some people put it at 3 million. It's always, these numbers always change. But what I want to say is that a big group of people left, left Egypt with what was supposed to be maybe a month or two of travel through the desert to the promised land. You know how many people entered? Two. Of the people that left, only two people actually lasted and entered the promised land. Everyone died and then their kids entered the promised land. And what's, that's, that's so sad. And that's why we see in the kind of like last part of this message where he says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must earn or, sorry, warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as we, when we first believe, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember, what he says today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel um, did when they rebelled. He says, and who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Uh, made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sent, whose corpses lay? in the wilderness. Now, that's a very weird place. I mean, there's a just saying in general. What the writer is saying here, that look, you've seen this play out before. Stop your complaining, is what God is saying here. Because when you complain, you start to harden your heart against God. And God can't work with that says, as you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. You know, 
in, in, in the beginning, he says in the verse one, he says, and so dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Now, he obviously contrasts these two stories, but what I want to tell you is this, is that what Moses did was just a foreshadow of what Jesus is going to do one day. What Jesus has done is he brought ultimate deliverance. He didn't just deliver people out of Egypt, but he delivered, uh, de- delivered the world from sin and from their own behavior. And, and this is why here it's saying that for um, he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses, meaning Jesus was just as faithful like Moses, served faithfully, and he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house and deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Did you catch that? What he's saying is Moses is the house. Jesus is the house builder. So what Moses has done is showed us what Jesus ultimately will do and deliver all of us. And we, me and you and people who came before us and people who are going to come after us, we are God's house. And he is building his house and Jesus is the builder of his house. Jesus is the builder of this church. Jesus is the builder of every single thing that we do. He is the one at work through us. Everything was made through him and, you know, he works in us. Jesus is the one who deserves way more glory. Now, Moses had two roles. He was like, kind of like a prophet or he would take God's word and bring it to people. And he also was a priest and he would bring you know, the, the, the word of the people to, and he would petition the Lord, right? So every single time the Lord would get angry, remember that place where, where God says, okay, Moses, step aside. I'm ready to destroy them. And Moses says, no, Lord, don't, don't. This is your people. So, so Moses is sort of like the bridge builder. Moses is the intercessor. Moses is the priest and the prophet who stands in between. But he's just a shadow. What Jesus has done is so much bigger than that. Jesus stood in for all humanity. Now, if I told you I have some great pictures, and I started to show you, and these pictures are of my friend, and Basha's in there, and, and, and you know, Edward, and if I didn't mention your name, I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> like you, 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 and I have all these pictures of us hanging out. And then Edward calls me, he goes, hey, you wanna hang out? And I'm like, nah, I'll just look at your picture. This, that, first of all, that would be very weird. <laughs> right, like that would be odd to say the least. You, imagine your grandpa or your grandma, most likely your grandma, your grandpa is probably like, leave me alone. But like your grandma showing the pictures and then you're like, Mom, grandma, can I come over? And she's like, nah, I got your picture and I'm fine. What do you mean? It's so much better to hang out 
with the real person than it is to hang out with the, the shadow or the picture. Right? So Moses, as, as much as I like Moses, he was just a picture of what Jesus will be one day. And this is why Jesus is all over Old Testament. And we are called not to entertain things that are one-dimensional, one but to go enjoy the full thing. When it comes to the issue of, of sex, right? He, he didn't call us to enjoy a perverted way of his gift. He, you know, called us to enjoy the real thing and covenant and marriage. When it comes to things like eating food, he didn't call us to, you know, things that are perverted, like anorexia and all these things. He called us to enjoy food, and as we enjoy food, as we enjoy beauty, as we enjoy art and music and, and all these things, they should point, because these are just pictures of the ultimate beauty, and that is Christ and, and, and the creator of all these things. And every single time we start to worship a shadow or a type or a system or a, or a legalistic system, right? Like that doesn't give justice to the real thing. And this is exactly the problem with the Hebrews because they grew up in like this kind of like very kind of traditional Jewish way of doing things and they would go back to the law. They would go back to the way of doing things the old way. And the, the writer here says, look, you can't go back to Moses. Because Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses is just the house. You, you, you can't go and idolize your pastor because your pastor is just the house. Who built your pastor is Jesus. He, 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 you can't idolize your church because the church is just the house. Jesus is the one who built the church. That is what we're called to. So he says that, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house is a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful um, in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truth of God would reveal later. But Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in hope in Christ, right? And he goes on to say in verse six, but Christ as the son of God is in charge of God's house. And then the verse says, says, that's why the Holy Spirit says today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As the Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now I'm gonna call you to prayer here in you know, maybe 10 minutes or so, but what I wanna tell you, and I wanna spend the rest of the time here, we have this picture of the Israelites they, they are called out of Egypt. And now it's true, they're going through the desert 
and they start to complain. And as they complain, their hearts are starting to get hard. And God says, I'm trying to work with you. And they're constantly going back and forth. And God's doing all these miracles and trying to change their mind, their heart. But they, they, they set their hearts against the Lord. And God is saying, and in my anger, I said, they will never enter my, re my rest. Now, the promised land was supposed to be their rest. That's where they were supposed to raise their families and, and enjoy the land, land that produces, like they, they, the Bible calls it the land, land of milk and honey. Now, that would be very weird if it was just pouring, but that's not, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like the land will produce all these things that they were so looking forward to. But because of their complaining, they didn't, they didn't get there. Now, does that mean that you can lose your salvation? Do you guys have a, another four hours? Because we can tackle that. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> can you lose your salvation? Well, I'm going to say this, that when it comes to your salvation, if the faith that you have didn't deliver you, it was never real to begin with. They went out from amongst us because they were never part of us. Remember that? If your faith did not deliver you in the promised land, it was never real faith to begin with. And that is a scary thing to say. So I don't know how you can put it down in the context of can you lose your salvation. What I'm telling you is a true test of to know if your faith really is true faith is did it deliver you? Did it get you into the promised land? Did you enter his rest? Now, obviously, when it comes to Israelites, the rest is the promised land. But that's just a picture of the ultimate thing. God's rest is us being in eternity with him. God's rest is for us to step into his glory and to be part of everything that belongs to Jesus. Verse 14, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. We shall share in what belongs to Christ. Christ in us, remember that verse? The hope of glory. We get to share in the inheritance that Jesus has. We get to share in his glory. That is the ultimate rest. I love how this, this poem, I've read a couple times before, but I, I think it's there's so much in here. It's called Finally Home. It says, when engulfed by the terror, uh, terror of the temptuous sea, unknown waves before you roll, at the end of doubt and perils eternity, though fear and conflict seize my soul. But just to think of stepping on the shore and finding heaven, of touching a hand and finding God's, of breathing new air and finding a celestial, of walking up in glory and finding it home. When surrounded by the blackness of the darkness night, oh, how lonely death could be. At the end of this long tunnel is a shining light, for death is swallowed up in victory. But just to think of stepping on a shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing, breathing new air and finding a celestial, of waking up in glory, and finding a home. That is a hope. 
that regardless of what we encounter here, the whole point is don't close your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't complain. The moment you are going through a really rough time, I, I, I have a tendency of complaining a lot, but what the Lord has been convicting me lately of is instead of complaining, say, Lord, I, what are you trying to teach me in this, in this season of my life? God, I, I know that you wouldn't bring me to it unless you're intending on bringing me through it. And because of that, I, I will stay faithful. Now, this is not some kind of like work-based theology. No, staying faithful is not you saying, well, I'm going to try harder. Staying faithful saying, Lord, I, I don't understand this, but I will trust you on this. God, I will allow the Holy Spirit to have his way with me because I know that in all things he works together for my good. God, I know that the work that he started in me, he will bring to completion. And Lord, just, just like Caleb and Joshua, I will be delivered into the, the uh, promised land, where into your rest. So my calling to you is this. We have two minutes left. And, but, but what have you been going through lately? And you've been complaining about and like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this or that. Can I tell you that the desert where this life that we're in right now, it was never intended. This is not our rest. God called us out of a broken lifestyle. Not just so we just chill here and say, okay, well, this is what he's called us to. No, he is just, right now, we're just in the transition. These, some 80 years that we have here on earth, God is working on us daily. And his, the work that he started in us, he's going to bring to completion. And he's delivering us. And one day we will step into his glory. One day we will step, we will step into his rest. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance. And until next time, God bless you.